Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Shruti Sheth Trivedi, Senior Reporter at Nursing Standard. In this episode, I'll be talking to Pat Cullen, General Secretary of the RCN, about the new ballot, strikes, pay and more. Nurses have been in dispute with the government on pay and working conditions for months. Pat has been there from day one and has arguably been a force for nurses across the country. Welcome to our podcast, Pat. Thank you very much for having me. So we'll start just by um, talking about the the ballot. So the RCN has launched a fresh ballot for a further six months of industrial action um, after members rejected the government's latest pay offer. Do you think that you're going to get the numbers needed for the new mandate or do you hope that you will? Well, don't know if uh, hope is the right word, but I think that the members deserve it because there's there's what I would nearly describe as unfinished business with government. Uh, our members deserve uh, more and better than the offer that that, that they have, have rejected. And I, I think that um, the government should really, you know, do, do what they very much can and search, search their conscience and um, look to what is required to, to get nursing um, into a different place and to get them into a different place and a different relationship with nursing. And um, I think if they approach it in that way, instead of maybe um, the adversarial relationship that, that they seem to have now with, with, um, with, with their nursing staff of, of this country, that they, they, they will do the right thing and, um, and prevent uh, nurses having to take further strike action. But, but you asked me the question, do, do I feel that, that our members will, will vote for strike action again or industrial action? And um, I think it will, be, it will be a tight call, to be honest, mm-hmm. because our nursing staff are already struggling hard with their, their pay, Shruti, and struggling to pay their bills. And, and it's getting worse for them, actually, because the, the cost of, of living has not reduced in any way yeah. whatsoever for them. So losing more days' pay is a massive problem for them when they're, when they're taking strike action. But yet, at their hearts is the real reasons for them taking this strike action. And that is they truly believe that the NHS is really hanging on um, in a very fragile way. And if they don't do this, um, their, their fear, and you can see it and hear it when you speak with them, yeah. of them losing the health service, of them absolutely losing the health service, is driving them to do the right thing. You said it would be a tight call with the ballot results. Um, could you tell our listeners what the next steps for the RCN would be if the ballot isn't successful, you know, if you don't get the numbers you need? Well, the one thing I would say that if if um, we do not meet the very, very stringent um, percentages that we have to meet that have been put in place by this government, which I believe has been put there to prevent workers such as nurses and others from having their voice. So we have to meet those 50% thresholds. If we don't do it, um, that doesn't mean that the chapter's over um, and the book is closed. Far, far from it. 
Mm. Uh, we still need to continue to work with government and government needs to continue to work with their nursing staff to do the right thing for them. And the right thing is, come on, let's, 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 let's get their pay sorted out. And the only way, the only way that we are going to fill thousands and thousands and thousands of vacant posts we've got in England alone is to address pay. We hear now from the International Council of Nurses, we hear very leading academics um, coming on and talking about the impact of uh, the over-reliance on international um, recruitment yeah. um, within this country. And if you look at that, um, that is so, so wrong on so many levels. And mm. um, take nurses from countries and deplete them of their resource that they no longer can provide even the most basic of health care within their countries. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's not addressing the problems that we um, as a government that, that this government has created within England. Um, so we need to stop all of that. And the way we need to do that is to start to address the recruitment and retention issues that we've got currently, retain the nurses we've got by giving them a decent pay salary, mm-hmm. recruit um, a, a domestic workforce first and foremost, that is then supplemented with our internationally educated nurses, mm-hmm. uh, not at the detriment of those other countries, but actually as a rich resource coming into our country as well. And all of this leads back to the principal issue of address nurses' pay. So when you when you sort of say, you know, to, to nurture that homegrown talent, what are some things, in your opinion, that the government needs to do to do that? Um, obviously, pay is a big, big one, but what are some other things that you're sort of pushing for them to, to do to get that homegrown talent in? Well... There's a number of things. Pay, pay is at the crux of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other issues we need to address. The the issues for our student nurse population. We know that the numbers are down in relation to um, our young people um, wishing to um, take nursing as a career. So our universities are struggling to fill the places. Um, and why is that? Because of the the bursary and they're not receiving the bursary as they have in the past and being able to survive during their nurse training. So that, that was that was another area we talked at length to government, but there was no movement in. Um, we also need to address the fundamental issue of how nurses um, travel to and from work and the costs associated with that. Mm-hmm. Many nurses working in central London and indeed right throughout um, London and in other parts of England um, we're explaining and showing us evidence that uh, they pay up to £500 a month for the pleasure of travelling to and from their work. Mm-hmm. And when you try to do that on a, on a very meagre salary, it's just it's impossible. It's actually impossible. And we should be treated the same as some other of the uniformed professionals uh, who receive free travel. So we, we, we certainly pushed for very, very hard for that from government, and um, but we didn't get much movement, no, no movement at all in that. We also uh, need to address the whole issue of car parking mm-hmm. and pay, nurses paying for car parking. Those nurses that actually can afford to drive a car, because many of those nurses would say to me, that's not 
a fundamental priority for them at this moment in time because they can't afford a car. But for those nurses that that have got got their own transport and need to travel coming on night duty when they don't and can't access public transport, etc. And particularly in and around um, um, London areas, again, they they have to pay um, significant money for, for car parking. Um, and one of the other key really, really core issues for our nursing staff is actually to move to a position where we are addressing safe nurse staffing levels within within our services and having a safe nurse staffing policy framework in place that could ultimately lead to safe nurse staffing legislation that we have started to move with in the other three UK countries and um, England is an outlier. That is really, really important to nursing staff. We have been able to get some traction on that and uh, that's the reason we've said time and time again there are some very fair elements of, of the, the offer that we put to our members and that was certainly one of them was around that policy framework for safe nurse staffing. And again, something that has been contentious uh, but more and more as we speak with our nursing staff and our members now, they are um, starting to um, get their heads around this this particular area. And that is about a separate um, and bespoke nursing pay structure that recognises their exceptional expertise and skills that they bring every day to the care and treatment of, of their patients. And that is work that does need to be progressed, but needs to be progressed alongside our nursing staff and with our nursing staff. And it needs to be um, and it needs to be led by them and with their thinking. The big problem with that one was that our nursing staff were so scared of by two things. They were worried that it was going to leave others behind. Yeah. But my response to that is if you look at Agenda for Change, nursing has been left behind in it. It's a 20-year-old um, framework. It is out of date. It does not recognise the unique expertise that nursing staff now bring to the table. And um, as well as that, it has it has disadvantaged nursing staff. So, for example, when you look at um, the figures that government provided for us during the negotiations, um, when we asked them, how, what percentage of the professional groups make up band five, band six, etc. And they were shocked actually when it came back to say that within band five, um, the percentage that uh, dominates band five's nursing, 62% of nursing staff mm-hmm. make up band five. And, that's, and, 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 and many of our nurses actually sit within a band five structure for the duration of their career, which can be 15, 20, 25 years. Now that's so wrong on every level so because that is abuse of, of the nursing workforce. Uh, those people taking charge of um, wards, running departments mm. and doing work that they're not being paid for, not being paid for. So that has to stop and Agenda for Change has created that. The other thing that we, we look at is those, those other professional groups that have got um, accelerated progression. They can progress from a band five to band six that doesn't depend on them actually having to get promotion. Um, so if you look at mid- midwives, look at paramedics and some of the other AHPs in, in the other countries, they automatically after a year move from a band five to a band six. 
um, and through that gateway. And that 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 isn't afforded to nursing staff within Agenda for Change either. So there's a lot of issues within Agenda for Change, but then our nursing staff are concerned yeah. that if we move to a separate pay structure, that the terms and conditions that, that they do enjoy within Agenda for Change would be diluted in any way. But government did give us a commitment that that wouldn't happen. So you talked about strikes, obviously, at the beginning um, of the podcast. There were several months of strikes from December onwards, and we all watched you go from picket line to picket line across the country, often in a single day. You know, how, how did you do that? Where did you get your energy from? The truth is I got my energy from those picket lines and from our members. I've always said I'm at my best when I'm amongst the members because they give me... Um, my absolute energy they give me they just they re-energize me they make me absolutely keep my feet on the ground and they reinstill in me the very reasons why we're here as nurses and they never allow me to lose sight of what nursing's about and and what i'm here to do and that is to to serve them and to serve ultimately then through them being able to serve the patients and the public so uh, that's that's truthfully where I get my energy um, from being amongst those members, speaking with them, talking to them, and even though listening to some of their stories, which are totally, totally heartbreaking, mm. I come away honestly knowing this is the right thing to do, even though it is terribly hard, it is definitely the right thing to do. And sort of following on from that then, is it a sort of similar thing that drives you to get out of bed in the morning and keep yourself motivated to do what you what you do on a day-to-day basis? What drives me to get up every morning? <laughs> um, I, I love what I do. Absolutely love what I do. And um, I love working in the Royal College of Nursing. I never thought for one minute of my career because I've never set out on this path but I never thought that um, after 43 years as a nurse that I would have the absolute privilege of leading the Royal College of Nursing. I've been a member for 43 years and um, actually um, thankfully perhaps maybe never actually required um, assistance or support from the Royal College of Nursing but always um, would have kept close association with it. Did I ever dream that I would end up um, being the most senior custodian of the college? No, mm-hmm. I didn't. But I take that as a real an absolute privilege. And look, how many other people can get up out of their bed in the morning and say, whatever I do today um, could some way impact positively on over 500,000 nurses? and ultimately then on the patients that they look after. And when you look throughout the world, there's very few people um, in that privileged position, but I will never, ever take it for granted either. Um, In terms of pay, so there was a fair bit of upset among nursing standard readers about the pay offer, um, and especially around the RCN recommending acceptance of it. You know, there were a lot of calls um, for you to resign uh, on social media. There was a, quite a bit of backlash. Um, how did you kind of deal uh, and, and sort of cope with that fallout? I mean, it must have been quite tough to go through that. It was. And, and I think I'm, I'm known for having said that was probably the toughest time of my, my career to date. And I have had a few tough knocks and bumps along the way. 
but I find that that really really tough um I, I genuinely understand people's anger and, and 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 members have got angry with me over a range of things since I started in this job but it's always been respectful it's always been um professional mm-hmm. and we've always been able to walk away and either shake hands or have a cup of coffee after it this took on a more sinister um approach and I maybe genuinely wasn't prepared for that and and that that shocked me mm. and i was also i suppose concerned for my you know that's difficult for your family to see and your children to 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 see so um that that definitely took me back um a, a step yes people did call for for my my resignation but i think anyone that that knows me and this isn't about being stubborn but knows that um I don't I don't walk away from from difficult situations or challenging situations. I believe I've got a responsibility to see that through. I have also said and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, I perhaps underestimated just um the the, the real um, feeling amongst the members and um I I get that now. So look we've passed through hopefully that that really difficult time. And it's now about doing the right thing and getting back to keeping the focus where it belongs. And that is making sure that nurses get the best possible deal from this government so that we can continue on to keep them within the health service and indeed within other parts of of health and care. And that's my job. and, And I'll continue to do that for as long as I'm here. Thank you so much. What do you think the government needs to offer to recognise nurses' value in terms of pay? Like, what, you know, in your opinion, what should that be? Well, look, first of all, what we do is we need to get into a room and open and open negotiations again. Let's put, um, there needs to be money put back onto the table. That, and they also need to recognise the unique contribution of nursing within mm. the NHS. That's what I'd ask them to do first. And then uh, let's start to, to discuss the additional non-pay elements that we were not able to get over the line the last time in, in those negotiations. And I think that we can reach, I think we can reach a position where I can go back to members and put another offer to them because that's owed to nurses and it's owed to patients. Uh, but this is now entirely within the Prime Minister's hands. And I would say to them, look, come on, let's get the deal done now. What were some of the things that you heard on picket lines that stayed with you? I know you said that, you know, there were some quite heartbreaking stories. Were there any in particular that, that you still sort of think about or that have stayed with you since then? Yes, the heartbreaking stories were, um, there was one in particular where, um, and it was one of our internationally educated nurses spoke with me on a picket line to say that she was desperate to return to her, um, to her own country because she came here full of joy, full of excitement feeling that she was going to be able to progress her career, feeling that she was going to have a better life for her and she had a wee young family. Mm. And she is now living in abject poverty in this country. 
and she showed me documentation to, sh- to to from a number of landlords where she isn't able to even um, rent out a home because she isn't earning enough money here. Mm. So at that point, she was um, actually what was known as almost sofa surfing, staying in other people's homes, and no no roof over her own head that she could call her own, and. I could see the anguish in her eyes and she'd left her young family behind her in her own country mm. and left her husband behind her. And here she was thinking she was coming here and going to make things better. And actually life had just got a whole lot worse for her. And I felt how much we'd let that person down and many, many like her. And um, you cannot sell people and um, false dreams and expect them then to do their best for us when they arrive. That's just so so wrong. And and I came away thinking we need to we need to get this sorted. We need to get we need to do the right thing for everyone, but principally again those people that we are taking from their own country to come and work with us. And yet, um, for me as I've described it, it's almost like um, a new form of, of slave labour, and that's so wrong. Mm. Yeah, that's that's quite a powerful story, isn't it? That would stay with you for a while, I think. Um, finally, as we sort of near the end of the podcast, um, I wanted to ask you to leave your message for nurses. Um, what do you want listeners to take away from this? First of all, that I have enormous respect for each and every one of you, that I have the greatest admiration for everything that you do, and that together, I believe we can make a difference to um, to individuals, but to to our profession. And when you make a difference to nursing, you make a difference to patients. So I would say to them, look, here we are in a situation that you are being balloted again for a second mandate. I would urge our nursing staff to continue to have their voice heard and vote vote for industrial action because that gives me the voice that I require, which is your voice, to make sure that you're represented in the, 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 the corridors of power and that we absolutely get this, get this deal done for you. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Pat. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Trudy.